Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Distilled Podcast. My name is Jonathan Gaby, and I'm your master distiller here on the show. On this podcast, you'll hear from industry experts as well as myself to learn more about marketing and take what might be complicated and hard to understand topics and distill them down into actionable strategies and well-executed tactics for your business, organization, or brand. Whether you're new to marketing, social media, digital marketing, heck, anything online, or you've been doing this for quite some time, you're sure to hear something new, get a fresh perspective, or reinforce what you've already learned. You might even get a new idea for your next marketing campaign, product, or service. So pour yourself a beverage, grab a pen and paper, or just sit back and relax and enjoy this next episode of Marketing Distilled. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Distilled podcast. And today on the Marketing Distilled podcast, we are joined by Izzy House, who I think might be one of the few experts in the field of marketing for the aerospace industry. Izzy is a marketing expert and a space nerd, self-professed. Space marketing is at the heart of Izzy's career. She combines both her expertise in marketing with her love of space exploration and technologies. With more than 20 years of experience in marketing, public relations and affairs, and civic outreach for governmental agencies, aerospace, and aviation organizations. Her goal really is to empower new space companies to take their ideas and products out of this world. So let's every everyone, let's welcome Izzy House to the program. Izzy, thanks for, for uh, agreeing to be a part of the Marketing Distilled podcast. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure to be here. So... Why don't you just um, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, anything you want to talk about in your career, how you got in, involved in space and, and, and that kind of thing. Well, I have always loved marketing. When I was a teenager, I was obsessed with the question, why do people do what they do? Why do they buy what they buy? When I was in my early 20s, I did my first logo and loved it just loved it when i went i went to school to get a degree in advertising much to my parents dismay and got my associates in advertising and started a business in san diego throughout my career i've worked with over 600 different small businesses and small organizations in, in developing their marketing their graphics and that sort of thing their messaging couple of years ago, I went on a trip and I actually went back to school. As you know, 2008 was a major change in marketing. It, the smartphone changed everything. And I felt that things were changing a little bit too quickly. So I went back to school and I got my bachelor's and master's in internet marketing. Mm-hmm. During this time, I went to space um, Kennedy Space Center And I was standing there and I thought, I could combine both my passions, my passion for space and my passion for marketing, which 
has been my whole career. When I got back from that moment, I began formulating how I could do that. My book was born, and it is actually a guide on how to do marketing through the lens of space. Space is fascinating. It's interesting. It's challenging. It's People love to watch it. Science fiction has been something that everybody loves to watch on Netflix, TV, whatever. So that's basically marketing through that lens. It's through the space lens. It's a guide of what is marketing. And it works for just your basic businesses. It takes you through what is branding, what is your, who is your audience? And it has different tasks in it that help you develop those particular things. Uh, For example, one of the chapters is branding is like a person. Your brand is like a person. When you, you it's, it's how you look how you feel to your audience, what you say, what you do, it all is your brand. And so we go through the steps on what that looks like in a very descriptive terms that you can understand. And then we go forth and talk about the audience. I'm very big on the fact that your audience is your most important thing. They, your relationship with your audience is what makes your branding, your marketing, your outreach successful. Throughout the ages, the tools, they change, they come and go, you know, the internet changed everything. Now the smartphone changed everything. Well, there are some things that successful marketing does not change. And that is your relationship with your audience. It is key. So we go through the steps on how to develop that. And then we look at what content is. We also look at what's coming up. And throughout the book, I create a fictitious company so that you can see how the tools and the tactics and the strategies are actually applied. You know, we, cause a lot of things you can't see just by watching the success stories. It's in the process. So we walk through how to apply these things to a company. It just happens to be a rocket company. And then use some real world examples of some successes. And then at the Mm. end, we talk about how to hire. You know, how do you hire your team internally? How do you hire an agency? You know, we discuss both both those things at the end of the book. Hmm. So it sounds like a book that is really geared towards uh, people who are looking to grow their their businesses in the space, uh, quote unquote, program. I kind of want to go back a little bit. You you uh, you said something about you getting a degree in advertising, but your your parents were not really like thrilled with <laughs> with what with, with your decision. My, uh, my, uh, what what did your parents want you to do? My mom was a hippie, and um, so I sold out to corporate America. Oh my goodness! Oh no! Okay, how horrible! <laughs> and I remember when she came to my graduation, I had my portfolios there. I was already, I had already started my business. I was in a environmental technology incubator. So I was a support tenant there. She looked at my portfolio and the look on her face was, oh my God, my kid does junk mail. (laughs) And 
And later on, I asked her, and yes, that is truly what she was thinking. So they were still proud of me as a mom and dad can be, but they did not understand this profession. And and that was okay. They loved me anyway. And and so you're you're still in San Diego. I assume that you're you're from San Diego originally, or is that kind of where you were in in, in your high school career? Oh no no no! Age? I I was born in Virginia, and I met a husband that was in the Navy, and we ended up in okay. San Diego as a duty station, and that's when I got I my see. degree. Okay, all right, cool. I'm tracking with you. Um, so how did you get? How did you get in? interested in space you you mentioned uh kind of on a previous podcast episode of uh i think it was beth or, or beth mund or another podcast that you're part of xterra maybe um that you went to a, a museum of some sort and and that's kind of where the two things like marketing and space came kind of in, in fused together for you in, in the first moment is that is that accurate what i'm what i'm describing well, it all started when I was 13. I went down to spend a summer with my grandparents, and they okay. were space shuttle crazy. This was during the time of the space shuttle. They lived in mm-hmm. Melbourne, which you could see the launches from their backyard. They Melbourne, had Florida. memorabilia all over the house. My grandfather was so in love with the space shuttle. He had a, a locket that he wore around his neck that was in the shape of the space shuttle and you opened up the doors and there was a little diamond inside. So he just, Oh, cool. He loved the space shuttle. So when I got down there, you know, when you're 13 years old, you expect to go to Disneyland if you're down in Florida. Oh -hmm. no, we went to Kennedy space center. And from that point I was in love with space. My, they also turned me on to science fiction books that summer When I came back to school, I was ready to colonize a planet. That was my goal. And then you can imagine the looks that I got. Uh People think you're a little bit off your rocker, especially when you're only 13 years old and want to colonize a planet. So I put down that particular dream and got more grounded, quote unquote. And then throughout the years, I discovered marketing and loved it. And then when my son was getting close to graduation, I thought, what's next? What's chapter three look like? And that's when I went back to Kennedy Space Center. And I got to tell you, the Atlantis exhibit, which is a space shuttle exhibit down there, Mm -hmm. is breathtaking. I mean, I was literally standing there dumbfounded. And I'm not going to tell you what happens because you got to experience it for yourself. But I mean, I was crying and my heart felt like it was just going to burst. And that's when I had the epiphany that I could combine both these passions and the time was right for space. Hmm. So then I got back and focused all my efforts on developing a, a space career. So you were probably in, in high school during the space program. I, I think I was probably in elementary school. Uh, in, in elementary school, I think I was really kind of the space nerd coming into things where um, certainly knew about this, uh, the, the space shuttle program and knew of Columbia, knew of uh, uh, on 
Endeavor, I think that's how you pronounce it. I always get tripped up on that. But then we have Atlantis, and then certainly um, in in 1986, was it, when, when we all saw uh, the Challenger uh, accident? I, I think Challenger, for me, is the, probably the the most uh, up-to-date um, example of me really knowing what the space industry was. I, I think that, um, I mean, I was only about five years old, but I always tell the story like I, like I remember watching it happen on TV. So, so maybe my memory is, is a memory, but, um, you know, got, got to know a lot about uh, who, who was in the, in the space program uh, at, who was on that flight, uh, Challenger, uh, the, the first flight and the last flight of Challenger. Um, I think it was Dick Scobie and, uh, Ed White. No, I think, I think Ed White was Apollo anyway. Uh, but, but certainly I was, I was part of kind of getting wrapped up into, uh, Krista McAuliffe and, and her, her journey into the, um, into the, the space, program. And then, then I got into, uh, learning about Apollo, learning about Gemini and le- learning about all the different, sp- um, uh, phases, I guess, of space exploration. I mean, we, we didn't first put a man on the moon. We, we went through the Gemini program to see if we could get ro- rockets launched up into the atmosphere and, and how that would look. We, we, we put test dogs and we put some test monkeys in, in, you know, Russia was a monkey. Uh, I think we, we put a, a German shepherd into a, uh, a, a rocket to see if we could launch it, launch it up into space. And then we figured out that we could do that. Um, I remember, uh, you know, everybody's watched the Apollo 13, uh, movie about, you know, them, the three people being stuck in space and how they got back into Earth's orbit. I mean, we, we've all kind of grown up with this. Um, I, I was such a space nerd that, that I was, uh, I wanted to go to space camp when I was in fifth grade. And, and gosh darn it, I did. And I got to meet uh, Mike Mullane, who is uh, an astronaut that is featured in The Dream is Alive. Have you seen that movie, The Dream is Alive? I have not. Oh, boy. So I'll put um, that on my list. I think that it's it's one of those movies that kind of walks you through like the the launch of of, of a space shuttle mission, and there's a there's a scene in um, the Dream is Alive where Mike Mullane is eating shrimp in zero gravity environment, and the shrimp is like spinning. And I know this is a video or a, an audio podcast, but just imagine a shrimp just spinning in the air, and and the astronaut grabbing it with his mouth. And, and eating it the best scene in the in the whole thing of course they're they're drinking water from like the blob of water that's just kind of just floating around but um yeah space is just a fantastic thing and um and I actually it, it, the nasa is a great way to study marketing what they did in the 1960s was incredible when it comes to marketing mm-hmm so, so uh, what are some case studies or what are some things that you would mention if, if someone would, would to ask you the question, how did NASA do so great with their marketing in the 60s and 70s? They were genius. There's a book called Marketing the Moon by David Meerman Scott that is a wonderful 
example, it, it talks, it walks you through all of the different things during the Apollo program. This was a small team in public affairs, and mm -hmm. they maximized their footprint by working with different companies and different suppliers to educate. Their thing was about educating, which is the strongest marketing strategy, in my opinion, that you can do because it gives back. So they took something that nobody knew about and started going out into the world to, or the United States to educate. They did interviews with TV and astronauts and science scientists to kind of get you exposed to what this was about. They had roving museums that enabled you to have hands-on activities. They recorded radio spots that the radio stations could play and they worked with Life Magazine to feature the astronauts. A Life Magazine had an exclusive in an exchange for giving them insurance, life insurance, in case something bad happened. Because these huh. astronauts were regular, they were treated like regular service people, you know, regular military, mm -hmm. and they were not given oodles of money. They were given just a basic pay for what they were doing. So they didn't have a, a, a decent life insurance at the time. So in exchange for showing their life, they gave this to Life Magazine. Life Magazine was the exclusive so that they didn't get bombarded with different magazines and publications trying to get these astronauts. But right. what was important was the story that developed. When you got to know these astronauts through their articles, through their in their interviews and meeting them through all their presentations, when they finally went up, it wasn't something that you were watching. It was something that you were a part of. And that mm. is key with any marketing is make your audience feel like they're a part of the story. And then they, um, they just, they, gave permission to their different commercials like Tang and, and that sort of thing to have things with space. So the companies were able to take their part of the space program and use it as marketing materials. They were able to develop marketing guides for the reporters so that the reporters had their information right. And one of the things that I hear a lot of people talk about, especially in technology space or anything like that, is that they're they're very private about their information. They don't want somebody to quote unquote steal it, which at this time we were competing against the Russians to get to space. Surely right. a lot of this information was secret, but they gave enough to their audience that their audience could understand it. And yeah. When it came to walking on the moon, there were a lot of people that did not want that to happen. They did not, what if something bad was to happen and, and we would see all that live, but how many people have been impacted by that step on the moon? And all of the marketing, all of the products, NASA t-shirts are one of the most recognizable logos in the world and 
they're everywhere. You go to any country, you're going to see NASA t-shirts being worn by somebody. So it has been a phenomenal study on how to market effectively. Now, they had to to do this in order to get 4% of the budget allocated towards getting this done. The American people would have never have supported it. The Congress would have never have voted it in had it not been for the marketing campaigns that were going on. In Mm -hmm. fact, one in 1973, it was the last one that went. And that's because the person that was in charge of the public affairs was no longer at that seat. And you can see what happened to the space program after that. Yeah. I mean, in, I think it was 1963 when uh, John F. Kennedy uttered the or made the speech that we should send a man on the moon, or maybe it was 1966. I'm 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 fuzzy on my history, but you know Kennedy had issued the uh, the mandate, let's say, but then that wasn't just it. It had to be uh, a, a campaign of selling, of of promoting, and things like that. And I love what you had to say about. Uh, how they effectively marketed themselves. They uh, said that they they made it such that people watching it were part of the story, not just a casual observer. And I think There's that's where a, a lot little... of marketing fails. It's because they don't. Yeah. They don't make it part. They don't make their audience part of the story. Right. There's just this subtle little difference about just watching it happen and being a part of this story that, that I think we lose. Um, but man, I, I could talk all day about space program now that I've, I've, I've kind of gotten my, my history back in, in order. I mean, we, we talked about the shuttle uh, launches and, and stuff like that. I, I always like, I, I know this for a fact that they, they told it to us when I was at space camp. It takes seven seconds from liftoff to when the uh, solid rocket boosters on the shuttle uh, clear the the tower. And whenever I see a shuttle launch, I always count it just to make sure that I'm right. And uh, understanding, you know, the space program from that from that perspective of just what goes on to launch a a rocket in the space is is just phenomenal. You know, just well, the fact that we can. And Space Camp, I'd like to actually touch on that. That was part of their marketing campaign. That was part of making their audience part of the story. They created a camp where you could go hands-on. I mean, millions of kids have gone through Space Camp and have grown up Mm -hmm. to be engineers, scientists. They have been hooked on STEM. It's just, it's an inspiring background that inspires kids to do something more right I, I think I would have wanted to become an astronaut but then uh, life got in the way and I, I understood that I'm not I'm not that great with physics and I'm not that great with math and chemistry and the sciences uh, aspect of it so uh, maybe being part of the space program wasn't in in the cards for me so uh, still but... though I, I agree that uh, what a great recruitment tool to get all these kids involved in, in like uh, simulations and, and figuring out what it takes to, to, to be an astronaut and showing great movies and things like that. Um, 
what a great way to get more people into the STEM uh, and, and that science, technology, engineering, and math uh, into in that field right when they're in fifth or sixth grade. Well, and it's it's their NASA's way of marketing the idea of space. So a lot of times when we are doing a product or we're doing an industry, we're selling an idea. So space is mm-hmm. that idea, and so they sold it, it's it's a way of marketing the idea to the world because they may not be the direct customers, you know, those children that are going through the program. But they grow up to be voters. They grow Mm -hmm. up to put pressure on legislators to vote in budgets that will keep the space program alive. So there's a very long game involved there, but it is still one that they have to make space exist. And that is part of the education-based marketing that they do is the space camp. Yeah. When I was at space camp, Go ahead. And I just want to go back to something that you said about going into STEM. The space industry is ripe right now. It's it's changing and is mind-blowing what is happening in space. And you don't have to be in STEM to be a part of space. They are needing all kinds of different people to go to space. We're getting ready to launch Artemis. In fact, today they were discussing the rollout that's getting ready to the rocket to actually do the very first test run up to the moon. It's going to circumvent the moon. And then the next one's going to land. I think, don't quote me on that, but we're getting ready to send some landers to the moon. And Mm -hmm. once that is done, then we're going to have the first woman stand on the moon. And we're aiming for 2025 for that. When we go to the moon this time, we're going to stay. We're not going to leave. So there are all kinds of opportunities for different jobs that are in need in the space program that have nothing to do with STEM. So for example, me, marketing, space marketing, Mm -hmm. you're going to need hospitality. They're going to have hotels going around the earth in a lower earth orbit in about the same time frame. We have several space stations that are getting ready to go up. We have the one space station that we have had since 2020, I believe. And it's doing all kinds of great experiments in science. And in fact, you you have so many things that are part of your daily life that are part of space. You don't even realize how many from the GPS on your phone to Mm -hmm. the COVID um, vaccine that you probably got. It was designed using things that they discovered in space. Now, they're going to have five space space stations going to be up there in a matter of a couple of years. There's three more that NASA are going to put in, and there's Axiom that is taking over the space station by the end of the decade. But you also have a space station that is being created that is going to be a movie with Tom Cruise. And it's going to have sports. It's going to have entertainment in it. Then you have another one that's a hotel that is a circular hotel. And you're going to be able to go up and and orbit the Earth. You know, this past year, we had several, about nine different flights, I believe, of non-astronaut astronauts or civilians going up to space. 
We have Blue Origin mm. that has just had another flight. We had Inspiration 4 with SpaceX that they went around the world th for three days they, in lower Earth orbit before they, they um, came to back down. And it was just regular people. One of the, the, the gentlemen that was in one of the, the four, he was selected from a lottery for donations to St. Jude's Hospital during the Super Bowl. You had another one that was selected using social media. It was a campaign a contest to see who could get the most shares. So they were using the tools. They even had a Netflix documentary where you got to learn who these people were. And you got to go with them. It was, mm -hmm. it was, they, they, they did it right. And then yeah. you had, uh, you had Virgin Galactic that had the flight go up with Richard Branson. So you've had quite a few people that are everyday citizens that got to go up into space and it's only going to get more so. So hmm. you have all of those fields in business, hospitality, sports that are getting ready to explode. So you don't need to be the rocket scientist in order to be a part of space anymore. Yeah. It's not rocket. It's not rocket science anymore. Is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, it's not just rocket science. It's not just rocket. <laughs> if this is rocket science. It would be easy. Um, so, I I still have some some interesting questions that we should should ask. But uh, let's take a real quick break and hear from some of our sponsors, and we'll be back after a short message. This episode of Marketing Distilled is sponsored by Evernote. With our lives becoming more complex every day, Evernote helps you make sense of it all and avoid overwhelm. Capture, sort, and use all the information you encounter during your day. Ideas, emails, documents, websites, pictures, audio, and more. Stay on top of your to-do list by creating tasks that live inside your notes. Link those notes to calendar events so that you're prepared for every meeting and see it all in a convenient, customizable dashboard. Once you capture something in Evernote, it's saved forever. Powerful search functionality makes it easy to find what you need later. So like Evernote becomes your second uh, brain where you can good. not only store information, but connect those ideas and put them to work for you. With Evernote, you can remember everything, be more productive and accomplish anything. Get started today by going to jonathangaby.com slash Evernote to sign up for an account today. That's jonathangaby.com slash E-V-E-R-N-O-T-E. -E -E. Okay, thanks for tuning in again to the Marketing Distilled Podcast. I am joined by space marketing expert, Izzy House, who we... Evidently, we uh, lived in the same city for maybe twelve years and never got to know each other. So we're we're we're, we're making up for lost time. Um, Izzy, with with what I've learned with your background and things, uh, first, I think we kind of covered it uh, about what interests you in marketing for the space industry and, and companies in the aerospace industry. Is there anything specific towards the aerospace and uh, aeronautical industry that is, is different than most companies that, that like, you know, they need to market differently than say like a wine bar in Frankfurt or uh, even like a, like a 
manufacturer of goods and services, you know, what, what are the differences that, that you see that, that space companies need to uh, market themselves differently? Well, each industry has its own little flavor of marketing, and, and you really need to focus on your audience when deciding what tactics and strategies to use. So mm -hmm. space is not any different than, say, you know, food or beverage or, or that sort of thing. They, they have to hone their own audience and figure out what works for them. Because as you and I both know, you can have the same game plan for the same industry and the results are drastically different between the two companies. So first start there is that you need to see what works for you. But one of the mm -hmm. challenges for marketing space is the actual space companies themselves. The business yeah. model has drastically changed. And right. whereas, you know, if you're a soup company, you have been working to try to, to capture that part of the market for decades. And they have not. They have only had to woo one customer. That was NASA to get the grants. Mm -hmm. Or maybe an investor or two, but to actually right. go full out marketing, they've not had to go into those waters before. And a sure. lot of them are unfamiliar, which is one of the reasons I wrote this book. When I mm -hmm. first started, I started in that environmental technology incubator and I saw brilliant minds that came up with brilliant technologies that could do amazing things for our, our planet. And most of them never made it out of the incubator because they did not value marketing. They didn't understand marketing. And they had the, mm -hmm. the idea that if they had something, you know, the cure for cancer, then the world would come to them. They, don't, they didn't have to let the world know that what they had. And I have a quote that I do is, the, you cannot change the world. You can't build an industry if no one knows you exist. It doesn't matter how great or wonderful your technology is. If the, nobody knows you exist, they can't help you. They can't, they can't buy it. They can't buy into the idea or the dream. So marketing is critical. And I, I saw a lot of the same similarities with a lot of your space companies, your, your existing space companies. Now, as far as the industry as a whole, it has drastically changed since about 2015. The Space yeah. Act opened it up for commercial space, really, truly. I mean, it started a little bit before then, but that is when things really started to explode. And you went from so, two countries, the U.S. and Russia, to now there's over 70 countries with space programs. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of competition. Right. So, so in pre-2015, uh, I guess this is kind of my next question. What was the landscape of uh, space and the space industry before 2015? And how, why did it change uh, after 2015? Well, we can pretty much thank Elon Musk for some of that change. Uh, back when he first started trying to do reusable rockets and trying to get space a little bit more accessible, he put bids in to try to get NASA contracts, you know, the big rocket contracts. And mm -hmm. he couldn't. There was a, a block. So he went and parked a rocket outside of the, the the White House and made his point known that commercial space was a thing. Well, NASA started seeing commercial space being 
important. And they started Mm -hmm. to restructure how they were doing things. For example, they're going to be more of a customer rather than the end-all, be-all to the industry, which is a, a big change as well. That prompted the SPACE Act and the commercialization of space. So there was a couple of different acts that were involved in that. But pretty much now, NASA is a customer, and they're going to support okay. them where they're not really the main driver. Sounds, so sounds like the sounds like that Elon Musk was driving a change in the business model where pre-2015, of course, you know, we have a government agency in NASA that is charged with putting a man in the moon and, and doing all these other things that they, that they did. Um, and, and those companies would be like, and, and really going back to space camp, because when I was a space camper, we all were part of teams that I, I guess were sponsored by various aerospace companies. Okay. So, um, there was like Boeing there was Lockheed there. Uh, my, my team was Martin Marietta, which I understand that Martin Marietta merged with Lockheed and now they're, they call themselves Lockheed Martin. Uh, Martin Marietta was the company that designed and built the large uh, brown external fuel tank for the, the shuttle. Um, so, so we have, we have all these companies that we're serving, uh, we're servicing uh, more or less just one customer and that's NASA. Now 2015 comes along and there are, I guess, lots of other NASA's now. Yes. In in over in 70. That, <laughs> so so there's countries getting into the space game. There are different companies that are getting into space. Um so now it comes to be that, you know, these organizations, these companies have got to do better or have, have to do marketing now as opposed to just writing a grant or writing some sort of a, you know, proposal to do X for NASA. And that's why you've written your book. And plus the commercialization of the products that come from space is, is a big thing. For example, they are looking at ways to develop pharmaceuticals in space. There is new technologies to build things like fiber optics in space, you know, things that are direct con- direct to consumer goods. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they're working on up in the space station is Redwire is 3D printing human hearts. They can take your individual stem cells, which you get from skin now, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of been some advances in STEM technologies. Right. So they can take your cells and 3D print a heart in space. Now this isn't, this, this is still in the research mode right now, but they've actually had it beat. And the reason why it has to be in space is because when you 3D print cells, it's like 3D printing water and it tends to collapse in itself when you do it on planet. But if you do it up in space, you can actually build that structure of the heart and the different capillaries and the cells and it, it works in space. Pharmaceuticals, when you add gravity to mixing solutions, it changes the properties. But if it doesn't have gravity to influence it, you can create new things that you can't do on planet. Um, crystals grow 
bigger and cleaner in space. So fiber optics is is a, a viable product that they're going to be bringing that technology down here. And especially with climate change, you have a lot of de- consumer type of competition with climate change. We have several satellites right now that are viewing Earth that have data on different measurements on the climate crisis. So all that data can be used and developed into products that add services to businesses down here. So you have a a consumer particular relationship that you didn't have before with a lot of the space technology that's coming down and it has changed the game. And Mm. like I said, you have 70 countries competing for contracts, but even if you just narrow it down to the NASA contracts, like moon landers, you had a fierce battle for moon landers that you wouldn't have had before with the, the main three companies, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, you know, that's who's usually gotten those contracts. But now there's right. all kinds of new players that can bid for it. And and I bet that the competition that you have as a result is is only going to help uh, not only the company, but the product because you have market forces at work that, uh, for example, the, the moon Rover, I think it was like, I don't know, it weighed like a ton because it, it had to be so heavy to, you know, stay on the surface of the moon. If you don't know anything about space marketing, distilled podcast listener, if, if you go to the moon, your gravity is somewhat like you, you weigh one sixth of the weight that you weigh on earth because of gravitation and you know physics and things like that. So you have to make things differently in, in the space uh, environment. And those kind of things are, are just going to help uh, make better products. If you have more people making it and, and, you know, Oh, we can do this better. We can do this better, but it all takes marketing to get there because as Izzy said, it's, it's a function not of just making the thing, but getting it to market as well. Um, have we gotten that right? Uh, yes, yes, it is completely a, a different ball game. For example, let's use SpaceX as as the example for this particular one. When and SpaceX is uh, the company for that uh, Elon Musk is associated with Elon Musk. Okay, yeah, he has done reusable booster rockets. Which before you would shoot up a rocket, the boosters would come off, and they, it would become debris in the in the the. Mm-hmm. Ellie, you know, lower earth orbit, which right. debris is its own little issue right now. And, and we are making some, some interesting headway in that, but that's how it worked during the space shuttle launch. They, it, it was figured about $27,000 per kilogram for the payload. Elon Musk has got it down to less than a hundred dollars per kilogram. So he's going to change the industry just with cost. It's going to be a, a lot more available for people to put their satellites up into orbit. For example, I was at the Space Transportation Conference, and this particular year, we're looking at 107,000 satellites that are approved to go up into low Earth. So a lot of it's to do everything from communication, satellites, uh, communication, I- internet, 
entertainment and to all the way to monitoring the atmosphere or they can actually tell how far the oceans have risen. They can tell what's the different kinds of particles that are in our atmosphere. They can, it's just amazing the different stuff that comes out of these satellites, including weather forecasting, which we all use our weather app to see what we got to wear or what we got to do. Is there a storm coming? That's all comes from space. So these satellites have valuable data that they're going to be getting to market. It also has a lot of other types of defense type of things, or it, it's just you monitoring, viewing, research, all that stuff is going up there. So we got 107,000 satellites that are now able to put their payload up into the earth orbit that they couldn't do before. It was just too expensive. It was for the select few, but now you have that option to think of different ways of having a product up in space. And the wow. competition for that is is hundreds if not thousands of companies right now. Wow. So marketing is even more important. Um we, we kind of talked about SpaceX. We talked uh, a little bit about other companies. Um, some of the some of the kind of companies that I'm aware of, uh, just because I'm not like a space nerd, like like currently am, I'm like more like historical space nerd. You're you're more of like very much current event space nerd. Um, Self-professed still. Um, <laughs> there there are companies like Inspiration Four, Blue Origin, and Virgin SpaceX. What do you know of these companies and, you know, have you kind of figured out how each company markets themselves and how do they market themselves differently within that um, ecosystem? Have you, have you figured out their recipe yet? Can you replicate it for anybody else? There are some very good examples of each one of them. For example, the Bezos, Musk, and Branson have been iconic to their particular company. So we get to know them as people, whether we like them or not, that is mm -hmm. also how good they market. For example, when Inspiration went up, Inspiration4, they tied themselves to a cause and it was with St. Jude's. They were able to raise, oh my gosh, over $200 million. It's probably a lot more by now to St. Jude's. So there was a good cause behind it. Now, to to flip that, Bezos, he actually gave to $400 million, twice as much to causes, and nobody cared. They vilified him because he did not include them, the, the audience, the public in his journey. Mm -hmm. It was almost like a shock that he was going up on that first flight. Nobody knew about it. It was, we didn't get to know the people that were on it. And the people that were selected to go on it, we couldn't relate to. Like with Inspiration4, I mean, you know, the one, one gentleman, he was just watching the Super Bowl. How many of us watch the Super Bowl? And then uh, Haley, she was a cancer survivor at St. Jude's. And she's a doctor. Hmm. You know, she got inspired to become a doctor based off of her survival of her childhood cancer experience. So these were regular 
people, just like you and me, that got to do something extraordinary. And we learned about them all year that were through the different campaigns and the Netflix documentary, which spanned, I'm not really sure how many episodes they did. It was, but they came out every month, I believe. So I highly recommend that anybody watch that. That was really inspiring. So we got to go with them. And it was a very different response from the public based off of their marketing and what they did. We vilified one and we loved the other. So is it important that we like somebody? Absolutely. Because with the example of Jeff Bezos, he um, gave a lot of money to very good charities and, and good companies, but we didn't know anything about them. So he took that moment that he could have really expanded upon who he was giving the money to and helped them even further by giving them a little bit of airtime and a little bit of marketing time. We would have liked him better. We would have supported those companies with giving them additional donations because we liked them. So yes, it is important that when we market, we market so that people feel like they like us and they know us. Right. You're touching on fundamental marketing aspects like the know and like and trust factor that uh, any company in America needs to work on establishing. Whether they they like it or not, you're going to have to have people that know who you are, who like what you do or what you stand for and trust you by showing up consistently in their newsfeed or, you know, just doing what, what you, you say you'll do. And And I would like to touch a little bit on the trust part right there. uh, Branson, which did Virgin Galactic, they had pre-recorded his trip to the aircraft, but they didn't mention that. So it seemed a little dishonest at the time that they launched, they released that information And let me tell you, I don't know if that was the result of their stock dropping, but I know that eight weeks before when they did a test flight, the stock um, hit record highs. When that story came out that they had pre-recorded his trip to the aircraft, the stock plummeted and Mm. has not really recovered. So one of the things that I stress big time is that You never, ever, 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 ever lie to your audience. Never, 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 never lie. You can't in in today's world The you know, if you lie to somebody, your audience back in the eighties, you could pay a lot of money and maybe have people forget about it through commercials and, and things like that. We don't have to look at you anymore. We have options. You do not have that audience that can only watch TV or only watch the, you know, listen to the radio. We do not have that particular platform anymore. Every There are so many different platforms you have to be on that if I decide that you're not trustworthy, you will never have a chance to talk to me again if I make it so. So you don't have a second chance. Don't just don't break that trust. It's it's crucial. Yeah, yeah we uh, your your example brings up to mind that 
my grandfather, or excuse me, my great-grandfather, who uh, was a tobacco farmer in central Kentucky. Uh, I never met the man because he died before I was born. Um, it was always rumored that that when when he saw the uh, when, when he saw the, the the folks land on the moon, he was like, "This this is like Hollywood." You know, he he didn't believe that we put men on the moon, and uh, kind of the same thing with what you're talking about is that you know the authenticity of of people of of your brand really. Um, is another component in the, in the marketing mix. If, if we can't relate and then if, if you're not authentic with us, then, then we've got a real problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where so. a lot of marketing fails is they, they throw ads and marketing at their audience, never to their audience. They don't look to see what does their audience need? What is, what are they going to respond to and how are we developing a conversation? Because it's usually only one way. When you do a 60-second TV commercial, it's one way, which the world doesn't work that way anymore. It's a two-way conversation. And if you ignore your audience, they will ignore you. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, you have written a book. You, you've, you've mentioned that, and I've mentioned that, too, within the course of the, sh- of the show. Um, it's called Space Marketing which is, which is a cool, catchy title. I'm like marketing space. How do you do that? Um, is he, who, what's the book about and who is this for? I know that's probably a really dumb podcast, uh, book interview question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who's the book for and, and why'd you write it? Well, I, I wrote it because I saw a lot of the same tendencies to the environmental tech technology incubator that I saw when I first started my career where what is this marketing thing and and why do I need it? And, you know, that's just sales. That's something else. And marketing has a very bad reputation because most people think when they think of marketing, they think about the ads and things that annoy them. They don't think of Mm -hmm. the marketing that has impacted their life that they do want. For example, selling the idea of curing polio. That was marketing. The electric light bulb, you know, Edison was able to get that done because he marketed and he made people want it. We already had gas lights. We didn't need lights, but he changed the whole dynamic of the relationship with people and, and with, through marketing. He was a marketing genius. And there yeah. were other geniuses were, at the time. Yeah. yeah. When, when you talk about Edison, uh, people need to research the relationship between uh, Edison and uh, Westinghouse because uh, Westinghouse had a different idea of how to power the world. I think it was the, the big debate on uh, alternating current, which uh, Edison was for, and then direct current, which um, uh, Westinghouse was for. And Edison was, was pretty aggressive. Like he, he showed like, uh, horses being electrocuted as a result of Westinghouse's direct current mode. And they, the, it was a big uh, campaign to get uh, Westinghouse out and Edison in. But anyway. I well, and that's a great example to... because who created the other one was Tesla, Nikola right. Tesla. And if you take those two gentlemen, you can see the power of marketing and what works and what doesn't. Tesla was a genius 
and he created all kinds of technologies that have never made it into our world because he did not respect marketing. He figured he would, he just wanted to do the science. And I appreciate just wanting to do the science. That's why you get somebody that's professional to do your marketing. That that's their science is the marketing part, but he died penniless. And even some of the technologies that he had, like the radio, did not get credited to him until much later after he was gone. I mean, they were credited to other individuals. So to see the change that Edison did and compare it to the change that Tesla was able to do, you know, that is important to the everyday world. It's not just that they had technology and they had marketing acumen, but they made a world a better place. So when you're doing marketing, you don't necessarily focus on the part that makes the world a better place, which is huge. You know, we, this, the, you market freedom, the democracy. If it hadn't been for our forefathers marketing democracy, would we be the country that we are? So there's ideas that get marketed all the time. We just don't think of them as marketing. In fact, like with space, we tend to use other words. With outreach, uh, public affairs, um, promotion. That doesn't sound as salesy as marketing. Sales are a facet of marketing, but they're a small facet. They're the touch, the human touch to the client when it comes to marketing. There's a whole world of marketing that goes on before the sales even get involved and marketing should support sales, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's making you exist. It's making how you make the world a better place. Those ideas, it makes them exist. So that's how you should look at marketing. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. And plus a lot of people don't realize how much you see a lot of things come through marketing and you're like, okay, let's do the next widget, the next strategy, the next tactic. Let me buy into that and just throw money at it. Well, you can't do that. It, it won't work. And it's working less and less and less. So you just got to be a little bit more strategic. You got to love your audience and want to make their lives better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've touched on a lot of things about, um, you know, the, the perver- the proverbial quote that we all, um, like to think about is, you know, from that Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones movie, Field of Dreams, you know, if if we build it, they will come. And I guess that was true for baseball, but it's not true for most businesses these days, especially in in the post-pandemic uh, social media crazed um, environment that we uh, that we. Um, find ourselves in now we've we've got we've actually got to bring the bring the product to market bring the service to market tell people about it what it does how it benefits people and and do some marketing and then let sales come in and kind of close the deal on on what marketing has done um i think you mentioned this early in in the episode izzy um about how the space industry has kind of created what uh, what we call spinoffs those things that were um, kind of created for space, but then we thought, hey, we can use this for everyday life too. Like I think Velcro is one of them. Uh, and, you know, 
different. Uh, I quit, did a quick uh, Google search and found out that uh, the Dust Buster was kind of a spinoff because they had to collect um, samples from the moon and they didn't have like a lot of space. So they created like a very small vacuum to try to pull in particles from uh, the, the lunar surface. I about said soil, but there's no soil on the moon. Not yet anyway. Um, so what kind of spinoffs do you see that space marketers should use and how, how do those apply to regular everyday businesses? Does that, does that question yes, make sense? Absolutely. Like, these things that space marketing or space companies, uh, aerospace industries uh, need to keep in mind about marketing, those, these lessons apply here to um, everyday widget makers or everyday businesses. Well, first off, there that is actually the subject of one of the books I'm working on right now. It is our Ooh, connection teaser. to space. We live with space spinoffs all day long, every day, and we don't even realize it. There's a, a connection to space that has been lost because of a lack of marketing, for one. Mm-hmm. But yeah. NASA, when they do research up in space, they create technologies that we're able to tap into as taxpayers. And those are the spinoffs. Some of the most notable ones are Tempur-Pedic. You know, they created that technology to protect contents and astronauts as they went up to the space station. Uh, diabetic test strips, you know, when you test your blood sugar, that was to test mm-hmm. astronauts. That was one that came down here. The fact that we carry cell phones in our pocket, and I'm holding up my cell phone right now for the the listeners, you have, I mean, the amount of space technology that's just in this cell phone is mind-boggling. From the camera Mm -hmm. that is on the cell phone, which was developed to be, take pictures of the first step on the moon down to the GPS that monitors our traffic and can tell how fast we're going and put all that information into the maps to weather forecasting that we look at the app on our our phone to see what the weather is going to be like. Back in the 1960s, when a hurricane was coming, if they didn't see it on an outpost on an island, we didn't know it was coming. There were no satellites to monitor that thing. And... So that technology is direct from space, being able to weather for, you know, forecast the weather. It, we see it from space. Um, there's all kinds of, of new technologies coming on board about being able to detect, detect, detect fires before they get out of control in the, some of the, the worst areas for wildfires. And then it can determine whether or not the GPS is so fine-tuned now that it can tell when the earth moves one inch and can forecast an earthquake coming. I mean, oh my gosh, that is directly related to us. So there's all kinds, I mean, from our food preservation, Nestle worked with the Apollo program to make sure that the food that went up there was safe for the astronauts to eat. And that that particular technology is what we use in our food today and it's how we preserve our yeah. food today. So there's all I think kinds. Every time I go, every time I go into like a museum of any sort, whether it's like a space related visit or not, I'm always looking at the gift shop. 
for what? For that Neapolitan freeze-dried ice cream. <laughs> Which there's, you know? <laughs> there's, there's, there's some that say that that wasn't really on in space because it crumbles and you, you can't have crumbly yeah. stuff up in, in, in zero G worlds because it, it gets in everything. So, um, they may have ate it once or twice, but I don't think it normally goes up there because of just it, how it's made. But, but still, it sells like hotcakes at the, at the, at the gift shop at the museum. So we can't keep it around. Marketing. It's yeah. brilliant marketing. Astronaut and, ice cream. Astronaut Never been cream. consumed by astronauts, but Tang yeah. is another so, one. <laughs> Tang with the uh, with the powdered beverage. Yes, yeah, powdered beverage. Because you couldn't, because you're you're space you're you're saving space in space. See what I did there? Uh, by not not having vats of of beverages, you're just having water and and a and a powdered mix that you can make it in space. Any any like. Um, tactics or strategies that that everyday businesses can use um, in in their marketing, kind of like you know, distill at home and say like to the uh, mom and pop shop down the street that might be listening to this episode would would take and say, hey, that's a new thing I need to do. Well, what we're doing right now would this be yeah. something that we would be able to do without space in satellites and communication satellites? It, you know during this, especially the last couple of years, reaching out and touching people in personal ways like podcasting or video could not happen the way it has, it is happening now. Social media has not been around very long, to be honest with you. It turned it right. early 2000s, I think is when MySpace was still here and look how much that has changed. So just being able to talk with people and reach out to people on a personal level. We have these venues that we didn't have before. As far as right. some companies that are doing some amazing things in space and connecting it to marketing, Estee Lauder and Adidas are up in the space station right now. Adidas is looking at, I believe they're looking at new ways of new materials that are more earth sustainable. And that's one of the things that they're doing. So they're doing some amazing things that will resonate with their audience as far as the, what are you doing for the climate crisis? That is going to be a huge narrative going forward. There's a lot of tools and technology that are coming down from space that can help you do that and help you be a, a better participant in that. And that can be a marketing strategy in addition to helping save our planet. You know, if you're, yeah. you're doing things to make the world a better place that you need to let people know, and mm -hmm. that will resonate with your audience, especially going forward. Yeah. This has been Corporate, a very tough uh, year for the, the climate crisis and even yeah. how you use words. I mean, Climate change versus climate crisis. Which one sounds worse? Which one galvanizes crisis. activity? And so, you know, pay attention to how you're phrasing things as well. Mm -hmm. If you want people to do something. So we, we touched on like positioning. We touched on the no like and trust factor that businesses want to establish. And then uh, we certainly touched on uh, the 
uh, what I'll call corporate social responsibility. I guess they call that CSR for short now. So like how your, how your company is sustainable, how it, um, you know, presents itself as being like a, a business that gives as much as it takes and, you know, um, is, is being careful of, of, well, really just being a good steward of the environment of, of resources and things like that. And that's how like Apple, you know, I have a, an older MacBook pro in front of me recording this episode. Um, if I chose to recycle it, I could take it to Apple and they will take it apart and they will, uh, reassemble it or they will recycle the parts to make other computers to keep, uh, elements of, uh, of the product out of the landfill to reuse, reduce, recycle, those kind of things. So, so those are, those are very important points. I think we're going to take another short break and then we're going to go and get into some fun lightning round questions. So stay tuned. This episode of Marketing Distilled is brought to you by WP Engine. WP Engine is the world's leading WordPress digital experience platform. Lightning round questions. I haven't given you the questions because they're, they're supposed to be fun. So okay. hang tight. WP Engine's combination of tech innovation and an award-winning team of WordPress experts is trusted by over 60,000 companies across over 140 countries to provide counsel and support to help brands create world-class digital experiences. I use WP Engine exclusively because of their strength in using WordPress and their unbeatable support when I need help. Get started by visiting jonathangaby.com slash WP Engine. That's jonathangaby.com slash WP Engine. All right. Thanks for tuning into the Marketing Distilled podcast. I'm again with uh, my lovely guest, Izzy House, who's written a book called Space Marketing. She's a space marketing expert. And We've talked a lot about marketing and things like that, and it's kind of been a, a fun discussion about space and the space program. I'm going to flip the coin a little bit, and we're just going to ask some really random, fun lightning round questions. So to the listener, I've not given Izzy the, uh, the questions yet. This is not an open book quiz. This is an actual pop quiz that hopefully she's going to ace. There are six questions, so she's really got to make them all right to, to pass this quiz. Actually, this is a game where the points don't matter and the game really doesn't matter. Anyway, so my first question for you, Izzy, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Favorite astronaut, living or dead? Go. Collins. Do you want the reason why? Why? Because he yeah. was a real person. He was the one that orbited the moon while the, the two others... Uh, um, Buzz Aldrin and Armstrong were down on the surface and he was just a regular guy. He drove a Volkswagen Beetle instead of a Corvette. So that's why I like him the most. So you picked the underdog as opposed to the two heroes of the story. Interesting. Okay. So favorite social media channel, go. LinkedIn, no doubt. You know, I why? is a more professional. You don't have to look at what people are eating. They, you don't have to deal with people getting upset over 
things. It's just purely professional. I've seen people that were trying to make political statements get knocked down because we just don't do it that way. We're, we're into making each other better and promoting businesses and it's professional. I love LinkedIn. Okay, cool. Uh, least favorite social media channel. Go. Oh, I would have to say Facebook because they've actually encouraged bad behavior and disinformation. And, and that's, like I said, you never lie. You never lie. Never lie. Okay. Coke or Pepsi? Water. <laughs> Seltzer. <laughs> a flavored water. Uh, <laughs> Waterloo is my favorite brand. Uh, so I am not actually a, a soda drinker except for the Waterloo. Okay, so uh, which aerospace company do you dream of working for and why? That's an interesting question. I'm going to do a shout out to somebody that doesn't know I know they exist, but they're doing some amazing things, and that's Via Space. Via Space has recently done a launch where they took recycled water bottles, you know, the, the kind, just regular drinking water, and they recycled the plastic and they made it into rocket fuel. They 3D printed the fuel. They sent it up. It is a green technology in rocket launch. Plus, it doesn't explode when you, when you store it, which is huge. One of the, the things I'm working on right now is that I'm trying to get a spaceport in Kentucky. Well, we can only focus on horizontal launch or non-rocket launches. The reason for that is that rockets are missiles. They, they can blow up, which we've seen them right. do, which uh, the, the fuel that Via Space uses is stable. It doesn't blow up when it's stored. So it may hmm. change how rocketry is done and where it can go. So I'm a big fan. That's interesting. I mean, you, you bring up all these different um, logistical concerns. Like when, when you say horizontal launch, I mean, it has to like take off like an airplane, not like a missile. It has to be the, an airplane. Um, the, the, the issues with, you know, launching a rocket up in space. Um, I mean. The rocket itself has is anybody a missile. Watched, yes. Yeah. Have you ever watched the movie October Sky? Oh, Man, one of my favorites. That was a movie. Yeah, I mean Homer Hickam blowing up the the fence post in his house trying to you know figure out the nozzle. Man, I mean you, this stuff is dangerous. So better it watch can out. Be, yes. Okay, my last um, uh, lightning round question: Thanksgiving or Christmas? Christmas. Why Christmas? Why um, Christmas? Because it's a, a celebration of of family. I mean, both are, but I think Christmas is a little bit more widely celebrated. You know, my my heart is global, and Thanksgiving is just United States. Too localized. Yes. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, uh, those are all the questions uh, I have for you today. You have done fantastic. You've passed with 100%. Of course, the, this is the game where the points don't matter and the game doesn't win you anything. <laughs> But um, we all we're going to conclude. We all win. Yeah. Um, so 
This has been the Marketing Distilled Podcast. Uh, I've been joined by Izzy House, who is a space marketing expert uh, living in Frankfort, Kentucky, of all places. You wouldn't expect a space expert to be in Frankfort, but there's one, and her name is Izzy House. She's written a book. Uh, it's called Space Marketing. Uh, a link to that um, book will be on the show notes and it's been a real pleasure to get to know Izzy and talk about space marketing. And thanks for tuning in to the Marketing Distilled Podcast. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.